Good morning, everyone. Sorry we are a few minutes late here at Blakely Hall. We've begun our service with the light of Christ, and we invite you to take a candle in your space and to light that candle as a reminder that Christ is the light of the world, is the hope of the world, and that the light of Christ is in you and in your home, wherever you are. So let that be a reminder for you today and a, and a uh, source of comfort for you today. God, we thank you for uh, this technology that allows us to be online and connected even when we are not in person. We ask that your comfort, your peace, and hope would guide us today in the chaos of our world and our lives. May we find that still presence within us that is you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This past week was... Uh, Mark, you may have to help me if I'm in the wrong spot on here for the teaching. This past week was Amazon Prime Day. I think that was Tuesday and Wednesday, maybe. It's kind of like Black Friday. It's getting earlier and earlier. And it was estimated that Amazon Prime Day would bring in $10 billion in two days. And that is a lot of money and a lot of stuff. Back in July, during this pandemic, it's strange, but Jeff Bezos, uh, the owner of Amazon, founder, his net worth jumped $13 billion in one day, which is really strange because at the same time, 30 million Americans are struggling Oh, with losing their job, with unemployment. Um, almost 10% of uh, people this month could not pay rent. And Jeff Bezos, his net worth jumped $13 billion in one day. Hey, y'all, come on in. We're streaming online. In 2017, Americans spent $240 billion on goods like jewelry, watches, books, phones, toys. And that is twice as much as we spent in 2002. Joel Berg, who's a founder of Hunger Free America, estimated that it would take only $25 billion to end hunger in the United States. But in 2017, we spent $240 billion on stuff. It's, that doesn't really add up to me. There's something off about that. If we look at our homes year over year, the square footage of our homes increases. In the past two decades, the number of storage units in the U.S. has doubled because we have so much stuff. In 2018... Harvard Business School did a first study of its kind where they surveyed 4,000 millionaires in the United States and they asked them, how much more money would you need to be on a 10 on the happiness scale? So they said, what's your happiness number now from one to 10? And then how much more money would you need 
to be at a 10. 26% said they would need 10 times more money to be happier. 23% said two times or five times more money. Sorry. Twenty-four percent said five times more, and thirteen percent said that they currently have enough money to be happy. So only thirteen percent of four thousand millionaires said they currently have enough money to be happy. That doesn't add up to me. It doesn't make sense. So it suggests that maybe our wealth, our money, our stuff is not really a very strong source of our contentment and of our happiness. These shows like Marie Kondo um, have been so successful because it hits home that we have so much stuff and we need to do something with it. And it's so funny that she inspired this movement of holding up your old socks and asking the question, does this spark joy? We're looking at our stuff saying, does this really make me happy? And I think that's a good thing to ask. It's a good thing to evaluate the things that I have. Does it really bring joy to my life? Would I really be happier if I had more stuff, more money? Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous uh, theologians and preachers of the 19th century, he said, Mark, you may have to help me here. I'm running a little low on juice, I think. He said, you say if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled which is what the survey of millionaires found. So we're in this series on the rules of life. We're looking at four rules of life, four values that the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus used to help them connect more deeply with one another and with God in the midst of their chaotic world. It was in the fifth century and Rome had fallen and and there were pandemics that were killing millions of people. And they developed uh, Benedict St. Benedict developed these rules of life. And last week, the rule we looked at was how to live together, how to be more connected to one another in a meaningful way. And this week, we're looking at the second rule, which is to live simply. Oh, thank you, Mark. And the basis of this rule, live simply, is found in Mark 10, a story of Jesus. It says, as Jesus continued down the road and started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the big question, isn't it? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's a key part there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus didn't look at him uh, with any kind of condemnation or judgment or assumption. He just loved him. He said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Do I have anything else there, Mark? This may be the last one. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? The disciples asked this question, who can be saved then? Because there is, this, there is this assumption in the ancient world that the more wealth you had, the more holy you are, that God is blessing you. And that is the reason that you have wealth is because God is blessing you. So if you do not have wealth, it's because there must be something wrong. There must be some kind of sin in your life. There must be something that is keeping uh, God from blessing you. And so the disciples are saying, well, if wealth means we're closer to God, then how can it be so hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And that's logical. That makes sense that they would wonder that. And this is so intriguing to me because I feel like I see the same mentality today in our society. There is this assumption that the more stuff you have, the more wealth you have, uh, that God has blessed you. That's definitely something that's been communicated through the prosperity gospel, through televangelists. They say, if you call this number on the screen, get out your credit card, and give everything that you have, God will bless you even more because stuff and wealth is a blessing from God. Jesus is challenging this assumption. Jesus is saying it is so hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God because wealth is not a sign of God's favor. Wealth is a distraction from what is most important in God's reality, in God's world. And James is the brother of Jesus. In his letter, he says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, listen. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards, to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom of God? It's promised to those who love God. James, the brother of Jesus, who he learned the way of Jesus right from his brother, from growing up with him, doing ministry with him, says the poor, the kingdom of God belongs to the poor, not the wealthy. Your wealth, your stuff, your money does not have anything to do with God's acceptance of you, God's favor of you. If you are blessed with a raise at work, it is not because you are doing something right in your life that God wants to favor you. Jesus is challenging the assumption that wealth is tied to God's favor. He says the people who will enter the God's reality, God's world, are not the wealthy, but the poor. He doesn't say that wealth will keep you necessarily from the kingdom of God because he says to the disciples after this passage, Jesus looked at them and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything's possible with God because in fact, there are wealthy people following Jesus who supported the ministry of Jesus. 
there were wealthy people in the early church that allowed the church to flourish because they gave what they had to take care of one another. So Jesus is saying it's not the wealth, it's the issue. It's what is in control of our hearts. Where does our true love lie? Is it in our wealth, in our stuff, in the comfort that, all, that comes with all of that? Or is it in the values of God, in the values of God's kingdom? The early church really tried to follow this. Justin Martyr, who lived in the second century, said, we who formerly valued above all things the acquisition of wealth and possession now bring what we have into a common stock and communicate to everyone in need. And this is why the early church grew. It's because everyone who joined this community of followers of Jesus were taken care of. So here's what we need to do. Kylie and I need to sell our house and give it all to the church so I can get a private jet, right? (laughs) No, it's not the message. But the value here is that we need to be very, very mindful who is in our community, who is in need, who is not being taken care of. And do I have the resources to help alleviate that suffering? And if so, what do I need to do with those resources? And let the Spirit of God, let the Holy Spirit guide us in what we do with our stuff. Guide us in being mindful about what we purchase. And be mindful about the needs of the people around us. Am I content with the stuff that I have now? I'm not always buying things because I need it. I buy things a lot of times just because it feels good. When you buy stuff online, psychologists are finding that it literally sends a rush of dopamine through your body. The feel-good drug, the pleasure drug, the neurotransmitter in your brain that makes you feel good. When you buy stuff online, Your brain releases dopamine in your body. There's a psychologist who studies dopamine in the brain. And he thinks that monkeys can help us with our contentment problem. So he did a study with uh, monkeys where they were to receive a reward if they hit a button 10 times. So on the 10th time, they would get that reward. And uh, this neuroscientist wanted to find out at what point in this process are they getting this dopamine rush from the reward? Because it's always been thought that once you receive the reward, then you get this rush of dopamine. Dr. Robert Sapolsky found that the highest level of dopamine released was while the monkeys were pressing the button. And once they received the reward, the dopamine level dropped back to normal. The dopamine was a result of the anticipation that something is coming. And they found that the same thing works with us when we shop online. It's literally when I'm on my phone on Amazon looking through all the deals, I'm getting the dopamine rush, I'm adding stuff to the cart, I'm waiting for it to arrive, and then once it gets here, it's gone. But it feels good up until then. 
So the reality of some of our acquisition of wealth, our buying stuff, is not that we need it, it's that we're being drugged. <laughs> I am being drugged when I am buying stuff online. And it's not bad to buy stuff online, but I wonder if I need to be more mindful of why I am purchasing the things I purchase. Be more mindful of am I living a life of contentment and simplicity or am I thinking that whatever I get would make me feel better, will make me happier, will make me more comfortable, will distract me from my other issues that I'm dealing with, that will help numb the pain that I'm wrestling with if I just take advantage of this Amazon Prime deal for two days. To live simply means to be mindful of what we have, mindful of the needs of people around us. And that is a spiritual act of worship. That is a spiritual practice. That is holy practice to be mindful of what we have and what we do with it. 